welcome everybody to another episode of Ego Check with the IDM. Again, my name is Michael Mallon, and today I'm joined by Brian Patterson. Uh, you may know him better as D20 Monkey. He is co-owner of Exploding Rogue Studios, and he is also spending uh, the other 50% of his time as the art czar for Evil Hat Productions. It's been wonderful to get to know Brian over the years. First interviewed him for my website back in 2011, and then uh, once again interviewed him in 2014. And so I was joking earlier this week that this will be our Return of the Jedi interview in 2017. <laughs> so uh, excited to complete the trilogy. How, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing great. I, I do love – I saw you mentioning that. I love that it is the – this is our Jedi interview. So basically at the end of this, I'm going to have to lift you up over my head and scream no. And right, yeah. If one of us ends up on a burning pyre on Endor, then it's trouble. <laughs> and then I guess in like another decade or so, we'll have a prequel of these interviews, and that'll be yeah, Yeah, it'll be a whole prequel about, you know – how you started and how you turned to the dark side. We'll, co- we'll cover you, you, you know, when Brian was age six on a, you know, deserted desert planet. <laughs> so yeah. Master welcome. Qui-Gon, what are midichlorians? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how are, how are things? Uh, things are good. Yeah. It's, it's crazy when I think about that. Yeah. It, it was that long ago that the, uh, the first interview happened, but, um, I've been well, <laughs> Uh, so for it, folks who don't, I'm just jumping in. For folks who don't know you, you started mm-hmm. a webcomic, uh, D20 Monkey. I was looking at the date, October mm-hmm. 4th of 2010. So mm-hmm. you, you've been doing this now over close to six and a half years of putting out this mm-hmm. webcomic, I think three times a week. And yeah, it's, it's three times a week with the occasional, you know, oh, it's a special deal, so it's a weekly. But those are few and far between. Yeah, it's mainly been three days a week. And so how would you describe for folks who have never been to your website, like what is D20 Monkey? Um, D20 Monkey is <laughs> the joking <laughs> tagline that we've been using is uh, uh, dice, drama, and dick jokes, basically. It, it started kind of as a – it was just an excuse to do a gag a day kind of thing, just talking about gaming because mm-hmm. gaming is hilarious. It's any any group that you play with. You know, you have your own personal in-jokes, you know, uh, then you have your jokes that everyone kind of knows when it comes to gaming. And that's what I wanted was just to kind of just do these gag days and, you know, do some <laughs> do some crude humor, you know, things like that. And just over time, it slowly evolved into me caring a lot more about the characters in the strip and the audience caring more about the characters in the strip. And now it's basically like an ongoing series that's you know following the lives of this gaming group and what they get into and we'll occasionally get to the table and you know i'll show you kind of what's happening in game um and what's happening out of game at the table and kind of in their lives and things like that so yeah and i believe a new a new season in the comic world uh started this past february yeah sure did Mm -hmm. excellent yep yeah brand new season i did the I am not afraid of a trope. I, I embrace tropes. Um, they, I mean, they're tropes for a reason. They're things that we know and we kind of love. So I did the uh, – I discovered the other day that I actually have a TV tropes page. Um, I did not know that because okay. <laughs> I, I didn't start it. Somebody else did apparently. A reader did. Um, 
but I did the trope where I had a little bit of time advance between the seasons, mm-hmm. um, just because it, it's it was time. You know, my art style has changed dramatically since the strip first cha- started, mm-hmm. but especially between the last season and this season, my art style has changed, and I wanted a good excuse to update some character looks and basically move a lot of the dangling plot lines that are out there. I just kind of want to start tying up some loose ends and it just, it was bugging me. You know, there, there, there are threads that are back from the second year that I still haven't resolved. And that's what this season is all about. Basically. Moving the story forward and getting everybody caught up to Mm -hmm. present day is what you're shooting for. Yeah. I've never really put timestamps on things that much, but now I'm actually working on that. I've, uh, I actually started this season by saying the date, you know, it's, it was starting it. It was February, February 10th, I believe, you know, um, granted we're still within the first two days of that, you know, cause everything's kind of happening in a day here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm actually going to make a point to kind of timestamp things and play a little bit more on actual current events than just loose current events. So it's, it's a new challenge, but I like it. I dig it. Excellent. And what has it been like trying to run this comic while also balancing a personal, professional life? And I know that has changed quite a bit over the years for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess more recently, where where's that stand now? <sighs> <laughs> long, long, long sigh. Long sigh. Where do I start? It's a challenge. There, there has been there have been a lot of developments in my personal life. Like you said, a lot has changed since I first started this thing. And you just, I think it's like any other job that you have, you know, where you have a major personal things happen in your life and you have to adjust to it. You know, I've moved a couple of times now, uh, not just like across town, like I've moved cross country twice Mm -hmm. in the course of it. And, um, Happily, you know, this is actually my job now. You know, for many, many years of the strip, it was a a very demanding day job that it was it was go to the day job for 10 to 11 hours, come home, work on the strip until one or two in the morning and maybe get a little freelance in there. And uh, a few years ago, I was actually able to finally say, OK, you know, because of Patreon, because of, you know, where I stand with merch, you know, and things like that. I can actually drop the day job now and just do this and supplement stuff with freelance. So um, that is that is a whole other ball of wax. Mm-hmm. But once I once I got my head around it, you know, uh, <laughs> getting an intimate knowledge of budgeting that I never really had before, you know. Um, but it's it's been great. I've I've loved it. Absolutely loved it. So, yeah, you've moved kind of around the country a little bit. And one of the things that I've found interesting about, you know, following you on Twitter and, you know, met you at Gen Con back in 2012. So that was a while mm-hmm. ago. Oh, um, God, we, we were babies back then. Children. <laughs> <laughs> Is just your openness in talking about not only the strip and kind of your creative process, but talking about how a lot of your, you know, personal history and mm-hmm. concerns and thoughts get kind of funneled into the comic and how – you just are pretty open about that uh, through sort of the blog that goes along with the strip and also just interacting with fans and 
maybe mm-hmm. maybe some people who wouldn't you wouldn't consider fans on, on Twitter and in the comment threads. Why has that been important? How how's that been useful? No one told me to do it. It, it was it wasn't like anyone suggested it, but I've always kind of been a person who the the way the way my therapist described it. <laughs> I have one of those now. Uh, me too. The way my, Not the, a problem. Oh, it's I'm I'm glad it's it's one of the best choices I ever made. But the the way my you know therapist put it was, uh, she was like, you are a a fascinating person to me in that most of your life is very you wear your heart on your sleeve, mm-hmm. you know you do not mince words, um, you know about a lot of things. But then we get to certain parts of your life or your or my emotions or you know my history, you know and things like that and. <laughs> she's like it's it's impossible to get you to talk about certain things um to which i i apologize i was like i'm really sorry it's, i'm not trying to be difficult you know it's just how it is and through the comic over the years it's been easier for me to while, while i never intended things to be autobiographical um it has become more autobiographical in ways as the years have gone by, you know, Sam has become more of a more me than I intended for him to be. Um, and that I just, you know, addressed, you know, was addressing his awkwardness and his fears and, you know, kind of how he, his relationship with people and his failings in relationships with people. And then I have Brett and he's kind of the foil for my anger, you know, and my, if something has, if if I've got some you know something stuck in my craw you know Brett's kind of the one that I channel that through, and there was a period of time early on where I didn't notice it, I didn't realize it was happening, and then friends were like, oh yeah, I definitely can see you in both of them, you know, just depending on what day of the week it is, and it's it's interesting to me now that once I know it, I don't I don't really resist it anymore. In fact, I've kind of leaned into it, you know. Um, there was another reason for the time jump was to age them a little bit um you know i turned 40 in march and happy birthday thank you uh (laughs) there's there's a whole there's a whole like subset of emotions that comes with hitting those milestones i guess and it for me it was like okay i'm kind of feeling this way and i'm sure in this world sam is probably feeling this way you know sam's not as old as me but He's close, and that's got to be something he's thinking about. And rather than, you know, create other characters to to reflect that or to express those feelings, I'm just going to have them do it, mm-hmm. you know. And it's it's been really good. I've enjoyed it, you know. Like I said, uh, therapy is probably the best thing I've done <laughs> for myself in a very long time. So painful, painful, painful as it can be sometimes, it's been great. So. Well, and I really appreciate you sharing that. And last episode of, of my podcast, I was just talking with a therapist, and mm-hmm. she uh, has written a book about using superheroes in therapy and how using comic book characters and how to use that with kind of young adults and mm-hmm. teaching therapy skills that way. So, you know, certainly one of the goals for my like fledgling endeavor for the podcast is just to try to destigmatize therapy and mm-hmm. that it's not a scary thing and like I've been pretty open on Twitter and my blog that I see a therapist for any number of anxieties and other issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if there's one person who hears this and go and says, oh, well, maybe 
maybe that's something I'll try. Then I'll, I'll take that as a win. Uh, I, know, I know exactly what you mean. I, I I feel I feel very much the same way, and I've had a lot of people uh, since I started talking about you know being in therapy and things like that on Twitter and you know through the comic and stuff like that. I've had a lot of people who've either publicly or privately kind of went, "Hey, you know, is this is this as is this as good as you make it seem?" You know, and I'm like, it's I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It can be very painful and it can be tough. Um, but once you start getting to a certain point where you've started to unpack some of your stuff, whatever your flavor of stuff may be, you know, once you've started to kind of unpack some of that stuff and deal with it, um, you do feel better, you know, and I know for me, I've, I've had some very rough experiences, you know, while being in therapy, but I've always come out the other side of it feeling better. I always feel like something I don't want to just phrase it this way, but I've always felt like something got done. Mm-hmm. Something was done in the room, you know, mm-hmm. even if I walked out just a blubbering hot mess, you know, I, you know, sitting in my, sitting in my car in the parking lot crying for 30 minutes before I started driving, you know, I, I still feel like this was a good thing, you know, cause otherwise I never would have done this. I would have, I would have continued to bottle this stuff and you know, that's not healthy at all. Yeah. I've been on both sides of that interaction because, you know, my profession, I'm a psychologist, so I've, mm-hmm. you know, every day I work with patients and, but I've also been on the other end of just being a patient and, you know, being a client and talking to a therapist and when there is work getting done in that interaction and like there's a new insight or a new thought or there's some kind of new discovery that happens and being on either end of it, it, it feels like a powerful experience, mm-hmm. but it, it can be exhausting. It, it can be tiring at times. Oh, it's it's <laughs> I am spent like the the first few sessions were especially bad and you know the first session she was great. It was the I just want to kind of get to know you. Let's mm-hmm. feel this out a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Okay, sure." And towards the end of it, we talked about some stuff and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> this is what we're doing." Okay. Um and she's great. I mean, she's yeah, you know, she's very upfront. She works for me because I, I I consider myself lucky because I know a lot of people have gone into those situations and you you don't click with your therapist the first therapist you find right. or even second or third or whatever. But I got very lucky in that I clicked with mine, you know, almost immediately, and that was okay. And we got through that. The second one, <laughs> the second one was where uh, basically the walls came tumbling down, you know. Uh, just, and I mean, at the end of it, even she was like, I pushed you a little bit just cause you know, I'm getting to know you and I wanted to know what are my boundaries with you, mm-hmm. you know? And that, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. It wrecked me. I was wrecked for a while after, you know, but again, at that point I was like, God, is this even worth this? This is, <laughs> I don't want to kiss on your show, Michael, but I was like, this is crap. You know? Um, this is total crap. Everybody's lying to me. This is crap. I don't need this. But <laughs> I've been fed a bowl of lies. I just it's p- people are sitting on thrones of lies. You know, there's this conspiracy against me. You know, and because you're mad and you're crying and you're irrational, so you're just whatever's in your head, you're blurting it out. And after it was all said and done, once I finally started getting closer to my next session with her, you know, I was like, okay. This, this clearly is something I need. So I'm going to keep 
going until I feel like I don't need it. Or we both reach a point where we say this isn't working for us and I, we haven't got there yet. You know, it's been it's been good. You know, I'm like I said, I can't I can't say it enough. You know, if if, if people are on the fence about it, try it. You know, and I think a lot of people get their impression of what counseling or what therapy is from a movie like Goodwill Hunting or The Sopranos mm-hmm. or some kind of television <laughs> show. And what myths did you find to be accurate and what myths did you find to be way off base before you started like seeing a therapist? Um, I went into it because I'm mega nerd. You know, I've seen most of those shows, you know, and was raised on sitcoms and things like that. So I had my, you know, kind of ingrained TV impressions of what stuff would be. But I got there and um, the first one right out of the gate was I, I legitimately, not even joking, asked the question because um, <laughs> she had like a smaller uh, a smaller room that she was using at the time. And there was like a couch in there, but, <laughs> you know, I'm a taller guy um, and I walked in and saw the couch, saw the chairs, you know, we're making our pleasantries, our greetings and whatnot. And I looked at the room and I looked at the couch and I went just deadpan. I was like, I I don't think I can lay on that couch. (laughs) And she, huh? I was like, I don't, I don't think I can lay on that. I think I'm too tall to lay down on that. Is it okay if I just sit or, and she's giving me this look and she just got this total, Oh, bless your, bless your little heart. Look on her (laughs) face. And she was like, Oh honey, you think you have to lay down to do this? I was like, yeah, that's the way it goes. Right. She's like, no, no, no. You, you can sit. Mm-hmm. She was like, you can sit in on that couch, sit in that chair, sit on the floor. You can stand, pace. Uh, she's like, I don't care what you do. Sure. As long as you talk. She was like, just talk to me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that was the more comedic, you know, stereotype that kind of got <laughs> kind of got blown out of the water for me. Um, the other one was I assumed after the first or second session, it was going to be just, we need to go straight to drugs. You know, <laughs> let's right. go straight. We're going to go straight to drugs, Brian. Here's, here are your three pill bottles, your three prescriptions, you know, um, don't operate heavy machinery anymore. Um, no driving at night, you know, no driving at night now, none of that stuff. And, you know, while, you know, just full disclosure, while it was, yes, we probably do need to give me something very mild to start. Um, it wasn't that fast, you know, and that's, I, I think honestly, the biggest thing that surprised me was I think I expected her to talk more mm. and she didn't. She is just a very good listener. And, you know, that's I think that's the thing that, you know, I've had these conversations with other friends who who are in therapy and, you know, <laughs> we don't it's not like we're pulling out baseball cards and comparing stats. But, <laughs> right. you know, but it is kind of a well, how's your therapist do it? Well, here's how mine does it. And, you know, what I found is, you know, apparently she's really good at what she does because she's the kind of person who listens a lot. She will let me t- she will, she first will get me to talk. And then she shuts up while I'm talking and just lets me go mm-hmm. until she hits a certain point where she goes and, and not to make a cliche of it, 
well, how did that make you feel? And it's it's weird. I, it took like three or four sessions before I realized her kind of her cadence with that stuff. And it's I, I refer to her as being very sneaky. Like you're very sneaky, Elaine. You know, mm-hmm. but not but not like in a malicious bad way. You but know, does, you kind of notice some of the some of the skills or some of the strategies she's using mm-hmm. to pull things out or take things in a new direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's. It's interesting with her, you know, we don't, while we stick with things that are important, we don't necessarily, she doesn't like linger too long on something, you know, it's not, it's okay, a new week, I'm going in and we're going to talk about same thing we talked about last week, you know, that's, that's not how she does it, you know, it's, it's more of a, we walk in and we chat for a minute and she asks me how the week's going, you know, and Anything, anything important coming up or, you know, whatever. And before I know it, we're 20 minutes in and we're talking about something totally different and talking about something that is very relevant to my issues. Mm-hmm. I don't know if issues is a politically correct way of putting that, but, you know. That counts. That's, you know, that sounds good. <laughs> I, yeah. I, actually, I actually rolled to issues because per- privately, personally to myself, I'm like, well, here's my damage today, <laughs> you know. Um and uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, Michael, but humor is a defense mechanism. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure you probably know that better than most, you know, but that's she has pointed that out on many occasions. Yeah, it's you a know? way to it's a way to diffuse some tension. That's yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I I do that a lot. Um, so. I noticed with my with my therapist because she's, she's even checked in with me about the fact that I'm a psychologist. And she's like, is it weird for you to be here as a client? Mm-hmm. And I pretty quickly said, no, I'm not in that headspace at all. Like, I realize I'm not here to be counseling you. I'm, I'm on the other side of the equation. Yeah, you're, you're not on the clock today. Which yeah. feels great, which feels great. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of do the same thing. I pick up on, like, even how she starts appointments. It kind of mm-hmm. says, like, the same sort of thing, but five, ten minutes later, like you said, we could be on a completely different topic, and it's not entirely clear how we got there. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's very interesting to me with her and, and her approach and a, you know, let me just hijack your podcast and talk about my therapist. But, you know, it was no, this is great. Just... <laughs> it was it was interesting to me because the first session, session and a half, you know, she genuinely just asked me about me, you know, and was like, well, you know, how did you grow up? And tell me about your family life, uh, you know, who rather than asking me and and. Brian's boiled down version of it, you know, rather than asking me, all right, Brian, who broke you? <laughs> you know, she asked who mattered to you mm-hmm. or to me. She's like, who matters to you? You know, who, who did you love? Who did you respect? You know, um, tell me about school, you know, tell me about your career. You know, what do you do for a living? I want to know, you know, and all these things. And it's like, she took some time to get to know kind of my backstory. And I finally, again, it took a while to pick up on it, but those little things like, <laughs> what's bothering you, blah, 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 blah. And somehow suddenly a question would come. Have you experienced this since you were a kid living with your grandparents? And suddenly she's picked out these little pieces of my history mm-hmm. to build. I can only assume, cause I've never looked at her notebook and I never will. I don't want to know what's in that thing, you know, <laughs> but you know, it's like the monster could... manual. It's like, an, uh, it's, it's only for her eyes only. <laughs> oh my God. I am. 
Well, Michael, I'm stealing that joke. Let me just write that down. Sure. <laughs> Maybe uh, the Itty, the Lich, can uh, show up in the comic again. Oh, it's funny enough, he actually is going to. Oh, wonderful. Because, uh, uh, again, I mentioned the whole we're getting back to things that, you know, were kind of there but kind of haven't been touched on in a while. Um, Sam is about to go through some tough personal stuff with his family. And he's going to basically be suggested that he needs to go back to therapy for a while. And he's going back to Itty. You know, yes. I was actually, I was actually going to email you about that later. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. I look forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. For uh, listeners, Itty, uh, my mascot for the blog, who's a lich, he, mm-hmm. uh, he's appeared, I believe twice in, twice. The, mm-hmm. in the comic, uh, over the years. So yeah, he is, he's Sam's therapist. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is still just hilarious to me. It's this lich, you know, it's just le- legitimate, this lich and a crown and a cape, you know, right. is Sam's therapist. And I just, I love it. But she's, she's been very good about picking things out of my history and comparing them to relevant events now, you know, or recent events. Mm-hmm. And I can only assume that she's building some kind of timeline, you know, for her to kind of go, okay, maybe around here is where things started to turn or this event happens. And now this has happened, you know, in my head, it looks like the chalkboard from back to the future too, you know, <laughs> Okay. and she's got these alternate timelines drawn off of it. You know, <laughs> this is where Brian turns into Biff Tannen dotted yeah. lines and Venn diagrams and all kinds of things going on. Oh yeah. All kinds of stuff. You know, it's like thieves can't, but for psychiatrists, you know, <laughs> Well, in, in in my work, and a lot of what I do, especially early on with with folks, and I I work with a wide wide range of uh, patients, so folks in their twenties, folks in their seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of different kind of presenting issues. I think issues mm-hmm. is a is a fair term to use. One of the kind of core things I try to do is just check in with folks. What do you value? What's meaningful? What's important in your life? And that's sort of step one. Step two is, okay, what, where is your satisfaction with those things? Right. And if it all lines up, then great. That's excellent. How can we build on that? Usually it's, well, this is important to me, but I'm not at all satisfied with it. And that gives you a lot of grist to dive into and be like, okay, well, what, what's going on? How did this start? How could things be changed? And <laughs> it's, I'm sorry. I don't mean, I'm not laughing but, you know, because of people's issues. I'm laughing because I, I'm hearing you say that, and I'm hearing her. Okay. Like, I'm, I'm picking up on conversations we've had where she has done just exactly what you just described. You know, that whole, you know, what do you value? What are you happy with? You know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I want to know, as someone who's just out here in the audience and, and not skilled, anywhere near skilled, in the things that you guys learn to do this, you know, like, is there a playbook? <laughs> not, not to, not to boil everybody's problems down to a one page mm-hmm. monster manual entry, but like, is there a playbook that you kind of follow? I would say yes and no. Uh, that That's my middle of the road answer. I, I think there's, okay. cer- there's certainly, you know, I went through back up a bit. Like I, I kind of felt around the age of 16, you know, I had some, some family stuff happened in my early childhood that I've written about. You know, my father mm-hmm. was a state trooper. He was shot and killed in the line of duty when I was eight years old. And oh, wow. I was um, like went through some family counseling, but I was like nine when that happened. So I was pretty young. Mm-hmm. And then 16, I went to a basically a camp for 
children survivors of officers who had been like seriously injured or died in the line of duty. Mm-hmm. And it was in DC and they separated us into groups and each group had a counselor and it was like, we did fun things, but we would have little breakout meetings and they were just checking in with us about how are you kids doing with this? Like what's it like adjusting to usually like life with one parent and everything. Yeah. And I just, has anything changed? You yeah. Know, that sort of thing. And I just remember I was 16 and I remember like just kind of sidling up to the counselor during one of the breaks. And I was like, Hey, how do you, how do you do this? What basically asking the question you just asked me, like what, how does one become a counselor? Like, what do you have to do? Mm-hmm. And he, you know, gave me some feedback. He's like, well, you have to get a degree and all this stuff. So going into college, I was thinking, well, I'll either do computer science because I really like computer games <laughs> <laughs> or psychology. And I took both classes and realized I was not good and didn't have the patience for coding. <laughs> like, <laughs> that really wasn't my scene. And I enjoyed the psych classes and the more I learned about it, the more I was like, well, I need more school. I need to go to grad school and to really have the most options, and I need to get a Ph.D., so ended up going to grad school and just stayed on that path. Um, mm-hmm. And during that time, I think you learn a lot about yourself because you're training to become a counselor. You sort of – as my roommate, who was also in my program, broke it down. He's like, I've never been broken down so much in my life. Like mm-hmm. every little decision I make, every comment I make, both with patients and just with professors and stuff, mm-hmm. it's kind of a little bit of an interpersonal crucible. So you try to learn more of your blind spots as a counselor, and I think that helps you just listen and relate to other people. That um, makes sense. To answer your question, I think there's you know definitely some schools of thought of here's how to counsel people. Here's a sequence of things that you should do. So early on, you should do a more global assessment, get to know as much as you can about different areas of a person's life. Um, mm-hmm. Here are some specific skills or strategies to teach people. Um, you know, like in my last episode, I was talking with Dr. Scarlett about like exposure therapy, which is a way to treat anxiety. So if you are fearful of something, whether it be social situations or even fear of spiders, something that's been shown to be effective is to, gradually expose yourself to that stressor over time. Um, Michael, that's never going to happen. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm, I, no, no, look, I'm just, look, rats are terrible. And if you're telling me that a way for me to get over my fear of rats is to slowly expose myself to rats, I, I'm, that's crazy talk. I'm that's, sorry. That's, that's where that's, we're just going to have to part ways. I suppose that, uh, that is, that is crazy talk. I just, uh, I cannot imagine that, you know, <laughs> uh, but, but I'm sure, it pro- I'm, but, I mean, jokes aside, I'm sure that probably does work at least for some people. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and there's what they called to get a little bit more in the weeds, like empirically validated treatment. So it's not just that every counselor you meet with is sort of winging it and mm-hmm. there's theories, there's ideas, there's treatment manuals. Even you asked if it's like by the book. There's some there's some treatments that are, and mm-hmm. I think every therapist does things a little bit their own way, but a lot of them are working from the same basic playbook, mm-hmm. if you want to use that phrase, or the, the same DMs guide. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's uh, it makes sense, you know. I, I feel like uh, again, just as someone from the outside looking in here. It does seem like that there would at least be, you know, with the training that you go through for this, there would be a 
here is the basic outline to start with, you know, or here are the approaches to start with. Mm -hmm. And of course, every individual is different, but here are the commonalities between, you know, these issues and treatment for these issues, you know, and things like that. So that, that, that makes sense hearing you say it, but there's, there's no, you're telling me there is no book that has like tabs. That's like uh, manic depressive flip to that page <laughs> and uh, roll three D six. And you know, <laughs> there's none, there's nothing like that. That would be fun. Like just like a randomness, like, Oh, we, we had a critical, uh, critical hit. You're, you're cured in one appointment. Congratulations. <laughs> My work here is done. Congratulations. Everything's fine. You love yourself again. It's great. You know? Uh, um, but, the, it's, you know, the other thing that, that does come up with treatment, and it's partially, you know, meeting with a counselor and processing thoughts and emotions. And I think the other piece of it is changing behavior. And that's certainly something that I think, you know, I can speak for myself as a therapist, try to do, and certainly as a patient, you know, I want to do things differently and, and learn different ideas on how I can live my life a little bit differently. So mm -hmm. how much of that has been involved in, in your work? Not that you have to delve into details, but in terms of homework or things to do between appointments. She has recommended things. You know, I've, I've been given homework, you know, the this week I want you to um, and, and I, I don't mind talking about stuff, you know, it's. It, if it helps someone else, then it's it's worth it. Um, a good example is one of my biggest problems, <laughs> as I have discovered, uh, is I – I'll start with an easy one. I'll say easy. Um, I do not have enough fun in my life. While drawing comics and things like that is a lot of fun, um, and I do enjoy my job, it's – I'm, I'm the kind of person who, because of past – treatment, abuse, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I have this over overactive need to please people and that it also applies to my work in that if I'm doing freelance for someone and a deadline is approaching, um, I will put my head down and work <laughs> 14 hour days with very little break and just really not be good to myself you know, through the whole process. And while that process is going on, um, in addition to physically not being good to myself, I'm mentally just punishing myself the whole time because the work has to be done. I've got to get this work done. Mm -hmm. And a big thing for her, for me to kind of help deal with some of that is, you know, she, she's like, this is going to sound really stupid probably, but I need you to have more fun. Mm -hmm. I was like, what do you, what do you mean? She's like, and based on based on what you're telling me with your schedule and everything you're doing, again, this was one of those. Let's talk about my day, and the next thing I know, she's going, "You know, you're working yourself to death, right?" You know, <laughs> and I was like, "What? Wait, what?" And she's like, "I need you to have more fun." She's like, "I need you to take breaks. I need you to, you know." She's like, "What are some of the things you love to do?" And you know, of course, I was like, "You know, oh, I like playing video games. I like playing D and D. I love playing tabletop games." Uh, I love to paint miniatures. I love drawing, but I get to draw all the time. And she's like, no, 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 let's, let's not. She's like, let's take drawing off the table for a minute because drawing is now associated with your work. Mm -hmm. So let's do something else. You know, she was like, I just, I need you to find ways this week to 
in the evenings play a game or watch a movie or do something. And she's and that's one of the examples. She was like, that's your homework. So over the course of that week, um, I blatantly ignored her um, <laughs> because I had a deadline. And well, we are used to that. So and it's like I blatantly ignored her. I had work to do. And this was this was during the, the, the final push on Carthoon to get it finished. And nothing was going to pull me away from that. And I went back to the next week, walked in the door. First thing out of her mouth was besides hey how's it going was so tell me what kind of fun you had last week and there's a long awkward pause and she kind of yep that's kind of what i figured all right um you didn't do anything did you and i was like no not really you know aside from maybe one or two nights where i finished around nine and went and sat on the couch with my girlfriend and, you know, watched TV for a little bit before I went to bed or something, you know? Uh, so she went, okay, all right, well, let's, and we started talking about some other stuff, get to the end of that, end of that session. And again, the homework assignment came again, mm-hmm. only this one, it was a little more emphatic. It was a little more stern. Had a little bit more mustard on the delivery. It was a little bit more mustard on this one, <laughs> you know? While she did not look me in the – she didn't grab me by the shoulders up me in the eyes and say, if you don't have fun, you're going to die. It was maybe two steps below that. Mm-hmm. It was very it was very serious, you know. And I'm, try, of course, trying to make jokes about it, and she's having none of it. She lets me make my stupid joke, and her voice never changed. It was very calm but very direct. And I would make my stupid joke, and the minute I said the last word, she'd, so tell me what kind of fun you're going to have this week. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you going to do? And uh, the other thing that <laughs> she planted, and that's I keep calling it that, and she, she gets a kick out of it, but I think it's kind of true, was she was like, when you're sitting there and you want to get up and you want to take a break and you want to open up a video game or open up a book or, you know, I'm going to take an hour and paint some miniatures, but then the other vo- the other voice in your head says – but you have this work to do. You know, she was like, when that voice says that I need you to imagine me and your girlfriend who cares about you very much and doesn't want you to die. We, I need you to imagine the two of us telling you, no, no, you need to get up and do something. You need to, you need to go have some fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that next week I tried, I really did try. Mm-hmm. And a couple of times it worked. You know, um, I stopped a little early, like on the weekend that Sunday, I didn't work that Sunday, but halfway through the day, I sat there and just internally struggled with massive, massive guilt for not working, but I didn't, you know, I kept playing video games or doing whatever, you know, so, and it's, it's been progressively getting easier to do that. Um, but it's, it's still an issue. You know, it's I, it wasn't like, oh, two sessions later, I'm fixed. It's <laughs> right. but it's but it's better. That's great to hear. And to open up and return to your question about the, you know, is there a playbook, mm-hmm. you know, opening up the DM guide. You know, one of the things that myself and other therapists learn in in training about in treating depressive depression, depressive symptoms. You know, one of the things that happens with depression is our motivation goes down, our activity level goes down, mm-hmm. and because of that, our mood goes down. 
and then that all starts to cycle into each other and it just gets worse and worse. Mm -hmm. So one of the best things that we can do to treat depression is to increase our activity level, do more fun things, which sounds simple and it's incredibly difficult. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just for everybody listening, think about how many times you've actually made it a purpose over the last week to just say, I'm going to do X for myself because I like it. (laughs) Yeah. And myself included, like I, I delay things. I have like eight video games I want to play and it's like, I can't find the time for them, but yet I probably, I probably have time, but it's, you know, I I mean, it's like those, like you said, those things you don't, it's, it's not always an intentional thing, you know, to say that I want to be bad to myself Mm -hmm. and, but you, you know, you, at least in my case, you know, I struggle with this guilt, you know, and I know other freelancers and other people who work for themselves who deal with it. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the whole freelancer guilt thing is, I could stop working now. I could get up and go turn on the PlayStation and play games for an hour or two. But halfway through that, I'm going to start thinking, you know, I could be working right now. You know, I could, I could be finishing deadlines. I could be getting ahead of deadlines or, you know, whatever. And suddenly the enjoyment just kind of goes away, you know, and it's, it's a terrible feeling, you know, and if, if people are listening who do not have that problem, right. um, good for you. And <laughs> I hate you just a little. <laughs> and the fancy, the fancy uh, term we use for, for that is behavioral activation. So that's what the tab in the book would say mm-hmm. as, you know, the more we do activities or spend time with people we care about and enjoy, usually our mood follows suit. And we feel better about ourselves. That gives us a little bit more motivation or momentum to do the next thing. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's why you almost like it's a prescription. Like here's some homework. Go identify something that you enjoy and schedule it into your your week and mm-hmm. see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's been very good about that. You know, my, my latest assignment has been because having fun was, was kind of an early on thing that's been mm-hmm. ongoing. Uh, the next one was trying to get out of the house more. Okay. And just and just be around people, because uh, that's another <laughs> that's another hard truth that I've had to accept is for most of my adult life I've had these. I'm just going to call them the I'm just going to say it the way I've been phrasing it to everyone is I I had this romantic notion that you know I would be perfectly content just getting a cabin in the mountains that has Wi-Fi and just <laughs> and just living there. Just and, being off the grid totally. And just, and just being kind of off by myself, like having elaborate daydreams about it, you know, like, oh, what would I do? You know, what would I, you know, man, I'd take up woodworking, you know, and <laughs> just, you know, having these, having these kind of inflated Ron Swanson fantasies nice. and having to deal with the hard truth that um, as much as I want to imagine those things, that's not who I am. <laughs> I mean, a lot of people have said this to, to friends and you know people, and they're like, "Well, duh." I'm like, "But I didn't know it." Is finding out that you're an extrovert, you know, when you kind of wanted to be an introvert, and like, where do you get where do you get your energy from? Yeah, she's like, you you get your energy from people, being around people and being around your friends and you know socializing and. You know, while you don't necessarily always have to be the life of the party, you know, just being around people you know recharges your battery. There's a whole, and I won't bore you or the listeners with that, but there's a whole long thing that she basically rolled on me with 
reasons that I didn't start to break down until I left Nashville. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when I kind of started coming apart in that she figured out that I had kind of all these mechanisms in place to distract myself from the stuff that was really going wrong in my head. And once I left, you know, she described it as you had all these wounds and you had layered up these band-aids on it for so many years. And those band-aids were dependent on being around certain people, being around your, your, you know, social circle. And then you left it. So all the band-aids got ripped off all at once. And, now here you are, you know, basically trying to figure out, you know, what went wrong. And it's it's funny that she started to get into that stuff. And I told her to her face. I mean, I, I, I meant it. I didn't mean it disrespectfully, but I'm like, the minute I started taking you seriously and started taking this seriously, mm-hmm. I started feeling better, you know, almost immediately because I went into it kind of half-heartedly and – the minute she said that and put two and two together in one session, um, after I was done being just an ugly, hot mess of a human being, she she was right. You know, I was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God, you're right. You know, oh, my God, I am an extrovert. <laughs> How am I supposed to live this way? Right. <laughs> what do I do now? What do I do now? You know, and but it was it was fantastic to have kind of that, you know. I mean, I, I hear the, people use the word breakthrough a lot, but I feel like that kind of was one, mm-hmm. at least for me. And, that's you great. know, just having her build upon that now, that's what, you know, our last several sessions have been about is just building upon how do I refill my bucket? She always uses a bucket hmm. kind of the analogy for it. Sure. You know, she, she's like, she's like, you keep emptying your bucket, giving yourself to all these people around you. You know, giving yourself to your work, to your readers, to your friends, to, you know, to your partner, to all these people. But you're not filling your own bucket up. And basically your bucket's empty. And then you have a bad day and it just hits you so much harder, you know. And it made sense. I mean, she says it and I'm like, (laughs) I even had that, that moment where I was like, God, why didn't I figure this out? You know, mm-hmm. it, it feels like it's such a common sense thing that you're saying to me. And she just kind of laughed and shrugged and went, well, that's what higher education gets you, you know. So, well, and, yeah. talk, and hearing you and, and talking with a lot of like other people who are involved in independent contracting or freelancing, you know, mm-hmm. my, my wife's cousin for a long time was a was a freelance illustrator and artist. And then through him, I've met a ton of other artist for like comics and then i have another friend who like runs a website and that's like his business the idea and again return to that bucket of if you're not working on freelance then you're not getting paid so yeah that pressure that hangs over in the midst of all these other concerns that you've been talking about the kind of is seems like such like slamming down the pedal on the guilt (laughs) feelings of well if i'm not working then like i don't deserve to have fun i I need Mm -hmm. i need to get x job done because otherwise like i'm not gonna be able to pay bills and that pressure just seems to be um not something certainly i envy like what 
not even related to therapy so much, but just kind of going through that over the years, freelance, I think a lot of people, maybe not familiar with folks who live that lifestyle, kind of see it as mm-hmm. like, oh, you work from home, you can set your own hours, that must be great. <laughs> and yeah. I, I've never met a freelancer who was like, oh, man, it's the dream, it's perfect, <laughs> I have all this free time. And that's, I mean, that's, that is the exact, I mean, you're, you are 100% right, you know, and in, in all of that. And it, it's what I tell people is like, yeah, I, I, I'm a lucky bastard in that I worked very hard and that's something I'm, I'm getting better about giving myself credit for, you know, is I did work very hard and, you know, built an audience and, and build, you know, built a series or built an, uh, an IP or whatever, you know, that got me to the point where I could do this for a living. And while I love it, it has never been easy. You know, it probably never will be easy. You know, that, that whole myth of, Oh, you just must wear your pajamas all day, you know, and set your own hours. I, I tell people I work more hours now than I ever did working for someone else, like at a full-time job, but it's, while it's stressful and, you know, it has its own special flavor of headaches that come with it, it's it's fulfilling as hell, mm-hmm. you know, because, I mean, every day you get up and go, man, I get to do what I want to do. Sure. You know, how many people get to say that, you know, so it's <laughs> – so I think that's – I think that is another big part of that guilt that comes with it. It's like I'm here. I've been – I've worked hard and I've I've got to this position where I can do this and I feel like if I'm not working then I am squandering it, you know. For all those people who can't do what they want to do for a living, there's a little teeny tiny part of me that's like, I, I got to do this for all of us, you know. You're you're going into that job you hate but you love my comic, you know. It's Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You get your laugh, you know, or you get your fix, and that's something you love to do then I need to be there. I need to be delivering, you know, because, I mean, I'm not going to lie. When I wasn't doing this for a living, I live vicariously through other people, you know, (laughs) that kid with your, you know, with your face pressed against the glass going, man, I wish I could do that, you know. Well, and I think that's a good a good segue into Carthoon because that's definitely something I wanted to chat with you about Mm because, you know, that is a, a world that you've been developing, I think, since, like, Age eight Birth. or nine, <laughs> birth, <laughs> birth. Yeah, uh, and I remember I was I was reading reading the comic and it first showed up in Sam's wall when they kind of walk in and they see all his notes for the world and mm-hmm. um, you know you ran a Kickstarter that I think started back in September of 2014 mm-hmm. and now the PDF of the books out there I, I think the physical yeah. books ship fairly soon yeah like within the next few months yeah mm-hmm. so that's been an odyssey. What what is it like to, not that it's behind you, but to have that complete? It is has been the greatest and most challenging thing I've ever done in my life. Just that's that's not that's not me being melodramatic. That's uh, <laughs> when I say the book almost killed me. It almost killed me. It's it's one of the reasons that I started to break down to the point where people went, "You need to go to therapy." Now you need to do this, you know, Mm -hmm. um, just because of the stress that was involved in it. But it's completely, completely gratifying. It's again, it's that amazing feeling. You know, I've (laughs) I started working on that setting. I started playing D&D when I was 10 
I started DMing probably when I was around 11, you know, right around that age. Mm -hmm. And I started doing my first homebrew stuff uh, when I was probably 14-ish around that age. And while I've run published settings, you know, for a majority of my gaming time, there's always been a ton of homebrew stuff in what every DM does. You know, here's here's Greyhawk and... 70% 70% of it's Greyhawk, but this 30% I've just really kitted out and really just made my own. Mm-hmm. And there's stuff that's there's stuff in the cartoon book that's literally stuff I wrote when I was 14 that I just looked at with an adult's eye and went, okay, less boobs and... <laughs> more <laughs> and practical armor. More practical armor. And because <laughs> I'm a grown man that's, you know, got some common sense now. But yeah, it's... I mean, like I said, it, it was super challenging and stressful at times, but just absolutely, I, I could not be prouder. It's, I had a weird moment this weekend. I started a new campaign since we we moved here and all this stuff. You know, we've started gathering a new group of gaming social friends. Mm-hmm. So we're going to play D&D. My girlfriend is like, well, Brian needs to run it because he's got Carthoon. He just finished the book. You know, it's coming soon. Mm-hmm. So... And everybody's like, oh, hell yeah, that's great. Brian, run Carthoon for us. Okay, great. But I had that moment Saturday where I was prepping the session, and I went, oh, I need to pray. Hang on. Oh, God. And I I reached for like an old binder that I had, and I (laughs) went, I actually don't need this right now, and opened up the PDF of the book and went, oh, that page, and printed it. And it felt so weird. Almost like, like oh it's God. another person's game. Like yeah, it was like oh my God, it's so weird because it's it's it feels like it's another person's game and it's done. That's I think that was the biggest shock to me was like it's done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's nothing left but the printing and distribution now. You know, um, and so, so it's fantastic for, for folks um, who maybe aren't familiar with with Carthoon. How would you explain it? Carthoon is the easiest way to put it is. I wanted to take kind of the some of the tropes and some of the some of the iconography that we have associated with D and D, you know, like classic D and D. I'm not talking about like Aberon or Spelljammer or anything like that that kind of broke the mold. But I mean, take a world that was like a classic D and D and D world, mm-hmm. and then break it, you know, in the sense that. Magic functions differently. Uh, there are things in the, in the timeline, in the history that have drastically changed the world. You know, the first thing that you know about you notice about Carthoon is there are only five gods. There were six. One of them was murdered. Mm-hmm. They all walk Carthoon with their followers. There is no Mount Olympus. There is no other plane that they reside in. Well, except for the mother, but that's a whole other story. Uh, but you know, they're, they essentially walk, you know, with their with their people. Carthen is an old world, but it's not like it's not as old as Earth, at least as far as the timeline is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's funny you you ask the question, and it's one I keep trying to struggle with. And what I always come down on now is Carthoon is a world of incredible magic, high fantasy, and it is broken. Not like mechanics broken. It's just it is a an essay on things that we deal with, you know, like 
what's a good example? The best example I can give is the mother who was who was the god of goddess of valor. She was the partner of the god of humanity. They they got together. They were in love. You know, they were partners, a couple. You know, however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. And she got pregnant before the child was born. He was murdered by one of the other gods who was jealous of their love and their relationship. And in a real world situation, you know, when you lose a partner, you lose a loved one, you have this grief that you deal with and you go through the the stages of grief and all that. And I wanted to take those ideas and say, okay, what does that do to a God? What, what is grief at a godlike level and grief at a godlike level for me with Carthoon was the goddess of valor renounces valor, sinks into her grief and her depression, her anger, and something in her breaks. And she says, okay, my husband, you know, was kind of a steward of humanity. He was also the warden of the dead. He, he made sure that the dead safely and peacefully passed on to the next existence. You know, why would he do that? Why would he let them do that? I'm basically going to be a mother to everyone. And when they die, they're going to come to me and they're never going to go back. They're never going to get, they're not going to be raised, resurrected. They're going to come with me and I'm going to keep them safe so that no one else dies ever again. And there's a whole, (laughs) that was me. Yeah, I could talk about Carthage for three hours, Michael. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but but it's but it's one of those things where I, yeah. I looked at things like that where, you know, the gods are flawed. You know, the gods are, you know, they have their own problems. Every god, in, every god in the pantheon has something. Um, so it describes the world. The world go yeah, ahead. No, I'm just kind of paging through the book here and just looking at mm-hmm. the the illustration of Carthoon and the shadow and the kind of dead mm-hmm. in the middle of it. And just remember seeing that on Sam's wall as a little sketch in the comic mm-hmm. and just seeing it like kind of fully fleshed out is, is awesome. So you have it broken down by kind of, it's a whole setting. So races, religions, nations, mm-hmm. uh, factions, and, you know, different important NPCs. And so, you know, paging through this and reading through it, there's not, there's not like a new rule set necessarily. No. For, for people to learn if they wanted to, to use this setting. So as a DM out there, who if they're playing Pathfinder or D&D or, you know, any any edition of D&D, um, mm-hmm. like how can they take this and and use it for their games? Well, the easiest the easiest answer for that is just to re- easily just reskin it. Me and Tracy, uh, Tracy Barnett, that's the other half of Exploding Rogue. Uh, when we approached this, this was, you know, we kind of went with our dream projects that we really want to work on. And we wanted something big and ambitious. And we decided, you know, Carthane was going to be mine and it ended up being ours. Um, and the, the attitude or the idea was we could set one rule set to this book. We could write rules for this book. But doing that means that fewer people will probably take it and use it. And while there's advantages to that, yeah, sure, of course, commercially, there was just kind of a personal thing with me, you know, and that I grew up taking other campaign settings from different systems and modding them or reskinning them to make them work in whatever setup system I was running at the time. And I just I wanted to be able just to present a world without worrying about stat blocks, you know, anything like that. So 
if you're the kind of person who's running Pathfinder or D&D, whichever edition of it that you want, mm-hmm. um, there are there are some helpful tips in the campaign setting for how to do it. But the easiest answer is it really cuts like anything in, in role playing games. It's how you describe it. You know, you could easily take a sorcerer from fifth edition D&D and make them a mage in Carthoon, you know, where mages in Carthoon are uh, humanoids who, through a series of arcane rituals, are bound to an elemental, mm-hmm. you know, and that's where they get their power from. Uh, you could easily just take the the mechanics of a sorcerer and through role playing and through a little bit of through a little bit of modding, you know, suddenly they're a mage. And it's it's just that easy, really. Um, we are going to start doing we are working on game master's guides for some of the I hate to say it this way, but some of the bigger systems like 5e, Pathfinder, uh, Fate, Savage Worlds and a few others where they're just little short PDFs. that will be like, OK, you're running it in this system. OK, if you want mechanics here, mm-hmm. we're going to give you some. But for the most part, if you if you're a GM who's I'm not going to say brand new because a brand new GM may have to kind of go, wait a minute, how do I make this work? But if you GM'd for a little bit, you can pick that book up and run with it. Mm-hmm. That, sh- that should not be a problem. Or, or as I even said in the book, steal from it. Yeah, that's what, I was, that's what I was just going to say, just kind of looking through things. And even the, you know, the art, the design of the book, there's a lot, mm-hmm. of, a lot of great things just to drive inspiration and brainstorming ideas and like mm-hmm. stealing ideas for your own campaign. And I have to talk with, uh, I know uh, Mike Shea does a lot of research on this type of stuff, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of DMs just kind of pick and choose stuff from any number of places. Oh, yeah. And I don't think any one system is, is pure. <laughs> any one no. home campaign is pure. Like, okay, we're playing this and that's all. I think a lot of it gets funneled through different settings and systems and you come up with like a Frankenstein of a game that, it works for you. That, yeah, yeah, that works. That works for the people playing it. I've I've never met in my life. Like I said, I've been playing since I was ten, and I don't. I'm not exaggerating. I've never met anyone who's told me when I ask, "Well, what are you playing these days?" And the example I'll give is, I've never had someone say, "I'm playing third edition D and D, straight out of the book, no home rules, mm-hmm. no errata, just straight out of the book, no no additions, no." No cherry picking, no home, no house rules, no nothing. I've never met a person who said that. Mm-hmm. Every, everyone, even if it's just the way you handle, you know, natural twenties and or natural ones, or mm-hmm. how you do your initiative, or you know, what does magic look like in your world? You know, everyone's got some little thing, and that's to me that's the beauty of role playing games is just that. That collective, we are a group of people sitting at this table. Yes, I'm going to present you with situations and you're going to react to them, but this is our game. You know, it's not my campaign. You know, it's mostly yours. And every now and then I'm going to inject some NPC that I really dig just because, you know, oh, God, I really want Tensor to show up, you know, or, oh, man, I really want to use Morden Cannon today, you know, and that's awesome to me. That's that's it's such a <laughs> I said this on Twitter the other day is gaming should be joyous. It is this joyous event, especially if you're an adult with limited free time mm-hmm. and you choose to spend it playing a role playing game at the table with your friends or online or however you do it, sure. you know, but but getting together and doing this thing 
it should be a joyous event. And if you're showing up to try to ruin somebody's day, you have missed the point completely. <laughs> that, yeah. that would be a, doing it wrong. If you're trying you, to infringe on yeah. somebody else's good time. Yeah, you're, you're doing it wrong at that point. So if folks yeah. like missed out on the Kickstarter, but cartoon sounds cool and they want to, they want to get a copy of it when the book comes out, how are they going to be able to do that? Uh, well, <laughs> one of the better things that's happened over the last year is Evil Hat uh, Productions is going to be handling distribution okay. of Carthoon now, which you can bet your ass me and Tracy just breathed a collective sigh of relief when that happened. Because <laughs> I don't know if you, you or the audience know this, but fulfilling Kickstarters is tough. You know, it's especially if you're just, you know, people, basically people in a garage taking care of it. It's a lot of boxes, a lot of logistics, and it can be it can be a pain. But basically, Evil Hat is licensing Carthoon now, and they're going to be handling it. So the PDF is going to go on sale right around the time that the books are going to ship. So that's kind of late, should, later in the spring or summer? That should, yeah, I think it's going to be around mid to late May, I think is what they're saying. Okay, um, Yeah, it would have been sooner, but apparently it's yearbook season for printers domestically. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's the only reason it kind of held it up. But that but, uh, should be a tradition, I think. Like when you play a campaign, you should like sign each other's books. <laughs> why don't Why don't we do that? That would be fun. We should do that. We should honestly do that. I, honestly, I would not mind that. I'm serious. I'm sitting here laughing about it, but I kind of want to do that now. I kind of want to take my player's handbook, and everyone I play a session with, they sign that player's handbook. Right. It'd be like or my DM. Or my DMG if I DM. Oh, Maybe that's another strip for you in the future. Oh, that's <laughs> I, I just wrote it down. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a really great idea. But um, it's going to be available through uh, Evil Hat's online store. Uh, Indie Press Revolution handles a lot of their, like, convention sales. Okay. So you're going to be able to see it at conventions. And it is going to get distribution. So you will probably have a chance to get it in your local game store. Excellent. And so for you and Tracy at Exploding Rogue, what um, what's coming up next? Oh, wow. <laughs> um, for now, it has been, oh, thank God, Carthoon is finished. <laughs> uh, and we're also getting D uh, Dead Scare, uh, which is a uh, a wonderful game that we've uh, been working with uh, with Elsa. And basically getting its fulfillment out the door you know here relatively soon but for us uh we're actually gonna the next big thing for us is we're gonna finish the gm's guides okay for a cartoon and after that there's stuff that's nda that i can't talk about yet fair so, enough but we're gonna be busy we're gonna be very busy and uh sounds like the comic's gonna be uh d20 monkey cranking along yeah yeah it's it's gonna be gonna be kicking along here i've uh i've set a personal goal to to not miss any updates for the foreseeable future. And because, I mean, I got behind with the cartoon, finishing it, and I just had to start doing basically art posts, kind of like, here's some cartoon art that's coming, which was basically code for, oh, God, there's not enough hours in the day. Right. You know, I can't do both, or I am going to die. Right. So, uh, but most people are super, really big fans of cartoon anyway because of the strip. So they were, they were happy to see that stuff. But, yeah. And so winding down here, how can folks get in touch with you? How can they support your creative efforts, um, you know, if they want to reach out and say thanks or ask a question? The, base, the best place to find all of that and to find me is at my website, which is d20monkey.com. 
Um, also on Twitter at the 20 monkey, uh, feel free to ask questions there. You know, I generally answer any questions I get. I'm happy to do so through the website. You can find my Patreon. That is the biggest source of my income right now, <laughs> but through Patreon, I actually get to do some really cool stuff. Uh, a lot of sketches, sketchbooks, concept art for upcoming character redesigns or new characters that are coming along. <laughs> I do wall, you know, custom wallpapers and, I'm laughing because I know which part of it I'm getting down to in the list of rewards. Uh, I do. If you've read the strip or if you've read the strip, you know, I do a lot of things, uh, palette cleansers between arcs that are called no context theater strips. I do exclusive no context theater strips for Patreon. And as of a few months ago, I started drawing bespoke cartoon penises just for, (laughs) just for Patreon. What is, I know what you're asking yourself, Michael. What am I asking yourself? What is a bespoke cartoon penis? You know, and for me, that means <laughs> drawing some of your favorite icons as comedic cartoon penises. Examples include uh, Bat Penis, Penis the Gray, which was Gandalf, full beard, hat, staff, all that. Of course. Yeah. Um, the last one I did was uh, Thenus, which was uh, Thor as a penis. So <laughs> uh, it's it's. I'm not writing Shakespeare over here, you know, <laughs> so um. to each their own, you know, <laughs> whatever works, man. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate all, all the uh, time you spent with us here today and, uh, you know, genuinely, you know, appreciate your willingness to talk about not only you know, the work that you're doing, D20 Monkey Carthoon, but appreciate your willingness to talk about, you know, your experience in therapy, how that's been helpful and like I said, I, I hope people listening to this, I think anybody can benefit from, from being with a therapist and kind of dive into some issues. So I, I, I know we spent a lot of time on that today, and I uh, thank you for doing that. Oh, I, I don't mind. I don't mind at all. You know, like I've, like I've said, it's it, it, it helped me. I know a lot of people that it's helped. And if you're on the fence about it, if you think it's something that you might need or might want to explore, but you're scared and – you know, oh man, what does this mean for me? Are people going to judge me or anything like that? Uh, all I can say to you is that while I don't know your home life and I don't know all of your friends, I can tell you that there is a 98% chance that none of the rest of us out here are going to judge you because at the end of it, you've got to do what you've got to do to to try to you know find some kind of happiness, you know, stability, you know, whatever whatever word you want to use. And if going and having some conversations with a trained professional is going to get you that, then by all means, you should try. So Awesome. Well, and at this rate, uh, we'll probably be talking again in the year 2020. But this has been fun, so hopefully we get together uh, before that time. <laughs> we, we should do this well before that. <laughs> yes, that sounds like a good plan. Well, good luck with uh, all the work you're doing. Thank you so much, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks. Take care.